Welcome to Excel Radio with Dr. Nick Zarowski, where we talk with world-class entrepreneurs, executives, and health experts who have unlocked the secrets to Excel Health and performance. Hi, and welcome to Excel Radio. This is your host and high-performance expert, Dr. Nick Zarowski. In this episode, we have brought back Jeremy Hendon through popular demand. Now, if you don't remember Jeremy, he is very well known, both him and his wife, in the paleo space. So they're both paleo bloggers. They are the former owners of Paleo Magazine, and they, him and his wife together have written several books. Uh, in our last episode, Jeremy and I had spoken on many topics, anywhere from lab testing to um, just living a paleo lifestyle, and he brought a lot of value to the listener. So we brought him back, and he once again delivers value just like last time. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for being on the show with us today. How you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing excellent. Thanks so much for having awesome. me back. So could you reintroduce yourself to the uh, listeners yeah, absolutely. So um, I forget how I introduced myself last time. I think most people probably know me from uh, having founded a couple health magazines, Paleo Living and Healthy Recipes, which we don't own anymore. Uh, but then my wife and I, my wife mostly still runs uh, paleomagazine.com, uh, which we founded and have grown. Uh, and other than that, you know, I do a variety of things. I've written a, a few books. I um, I actually have a podcast, although I haven't updated it in a bit, but I'm starting it back, and uh, just a few other things that I have going. So we can, we can talk about all of it or any of it. <laughs> awesome. So right now you're actually, where are you living at? I am living in Lisbon, Portugal. Okay. And so, uh, what, what brings you out there? Just travel or, or is it, uh, is, you know, family? No family. Uh, so my wife grew up in England, although her family's all in the U.S. or in China now. Uh, my family's all in Georgia. We were we were living in Asia for the winter because it was warm and nice, and we decided we wanted to come to Europe in May. And so we looked around, and the main place we were thinking about going, which was Budapest, because one of my best friends is Hungarian, and I've been to Budapest and love it. Um, but in May, it was still a little bit cold and a little bit too wet. And so we thought, well, let's try Lisbon. And we got here, and now we're going to stay for a little bit because Lisbon's kind of fantastic. That's awesome. Awesome. So I don't know if everybody remembers, but Jeremy's been on the show before, and um, you know, he delivered some great value. And we just talked – I mean, I, when we get talking, we talk about a little bit of everything. But one of the, <laughs> one of the topics um, – we're going to talk a little bit about today is stress and you know managing stress and and so Jeremy could you could you you know talk just take this topic of stress and let's kind of dig into it a little bit yeah absolutely um you know i i thought about it again because i was actually i was interviewing tom o'brien yesterday for an event that we have coming up in september and uh, i you know a lot of your listeners might know tom o'brien he's He's very much into food sensitivities and, and autoimmune issues and just an all-around great guy. Um, and we actually got to talking about stress and it, you know, and then I knew this interview was coming up today and I thought, well, let's, let's talk a little more about it because it's been something that I've actually been fascinated with for the past year or two. I remember when Mark Sisson came out with his book, The Primal Connection, talking a lot about communities and our evolutionary need for communities and also how these things are affecting us. And, it's been one of the things that's been driving me because I hang out with a lot of entrepreneurs and before this I was a lawyer so I was hanging out a lot with a lot of lawyers and bankers particularly in New York City and the stress piece uh, it, it's so fascinating one of the stories that um, Tom O'Brien Dr. Tom O'Brien told me yesterday that I actually didn't know I had actually never looked up the etymology of stress or how we think about it right now but there was a, um, a Hungarian uh, named uh, Selyeh uh, who essentially coined the word stress, I think it was in the 30s, uh, for how we think about stress now and what it does to our body, stressors. And what he was doing was he was actually feeding various um, desiccated organs to mice. And he would see various adverse reactions on their bodies. Uh, and he thought he had found a new hormone that was kind of across a lot of these uh, organs. Uh, but then he realized that he, if you just fed them a bunch of different random things that they weren't supposed to be eating, that he would see the same reactions. And so he started, you know, he coined this word stress for what was happening to their bodies. And so, mm -hmm. you know, often now in, in 2016, right now when we're recording this, we think of stress, we think of this psychological stress, right? Stress yes. is really this, this whole thing that happens to our bodies. Um, 
you know, food is a big stressor, particularly if you're eating uh, processed foods or, you know, foods that just don't work well with our bodies. There are all sorts of toxins and, and you know, basic toxic toxicologies. Everything's a toxin depending on the dosage. But, you know, some and more quickly than others, right? Lead, arsenic, those types of things, all sorts of things around us, electromagnetic fields. But then there are also these stressors of, for instance, not living in a tight-knit community, which I... Um, I, it's one of the few podcasts I still listen to is, um, is Tim Ferriss' podcast. And he had Sebastian Younger, who is a three or four time New York Times bestselling author. And one of the books that he wrote was on war. And one of the things he's particularly interested in is um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And one of the stats that he gives is that 10% of our military see active duty combat right now, or around 10%. But about 50% come back or, or leave uh, the military with post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's a, still a lot of dispute over why this is, and I'm by definitely no PTSD uh, expert, but one of his conjectures, which really resonates with me from all the research I've done and from, from everything I know about my own life and from, you know, a lot of other places, is that the reason that the PTSD is so much higher is because these people are coming out of this very, very close-knit, tight, bonded group, right? In a platoon, you're usually with like 40 to 50 other people, which is even smaller than mm. Dunbar's number traditionally, which we evolutionary grew up with like 140, 145. And they're coming out of this very tight-knit group, and they come back to a very alienating society where even if you have a family, you're still – you don't have a tight-knit community around you. Uh, you're right. not living in close proximity. And he even likens – he says that if you look at the Peace Corps – What's really interesting is a very high percentage uh, number of people who come back from Peace Corps get post-traumatic stress disorder. And he said it's often because they've gone to places, um, essentially lesser developed countries, where they're living, often sleeping next to you know, 10, 12, or 15 other people in very tight proximity, living with them all the time with that close-knit community. And so that's a huge stressor on us too, right? Having this alienating and very individualized sense of community, which I see a lot in the U.S., I see a lot in, in certain other countries, and less so in others. So oh, that's, yeah, that's no, part of why it fascinates me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's all too often you live in, you know, a community where your neighbor, like, doesn't talk to you, and you say hi to them, and they kind of look at you like, you know, why are you talking to me? And, you know, <laughs> I, it, it's kind of a strange thing, you know. I, I don't understand. I can't tell you how often I'm walking down a sidewalk or something, and I you know tell somebody you know good morning and they just like look away or something and i'm like <laughs> like i, I don't there, understand there, it there but been studies you know if you're homeless for more than about 48 hours it can have semi-permanent effects on your brain just because you get so ignored as soon as you're homeless and you feel so disconnected from humanity all of a sudden yeah I, it, it's it's very interesting so what you're saying basically is that you know, basically from a primal connection standpoint that um, in, in a stress standpoint, it is really imperative for us to surround ourselves with groups of other individuals and live in uh, community versus, you know, just alienating ourselves. Yeah. So, I mean, there has been a variety of, of work and studies done on this. Uh, I don't think it's one of these things that's really, really hard to isolate. In fact, you know, there's so many studies out there that people love pointing to that says, uh, that say that we should ingest like one or two glasses of wine a day. It's very healthy, right? I actually think all those studies are super biased because the places where people do that on average are places where they have very tiny communities. And the reason that they're having one to two glasses of wine per day is because they're often going out with their friends or going out into the community mm -hmm. And, and hanging out. I feel like there's a super strong effect of that social aspect. But yeah, I mean, I do. I just don't think, and this is what's so interesting to me, I don't think we found a way to recreate it yet, right? I think starting with the agricultural revolution, it, it distanced us a little because we started living a little bit more independently, you know, on farms, in family units rather than with a nomadic tribe. I think the industrial revolution shot that through the roof. Uh, mm -hmm. We started living in cities where we have more people around, but we felt more alienated than ever because we don't know all of these people and we're not tight with a small group of them. Um, and then I think now with digital technology, it's taking it to an even, uh, you know, another level altogether. And, you know, I don't think we've, we've found an answer yet. Um, and maybe technology will find an answer. I'm actually a big tech fan, so I, I don't put it past technology at all. Um, but I don't, I don't think we've seen it yet. And I think, it, I think it's a huge problem, uh, the community piece and the stress piece. 
Okay, absolutely. And so one of the things you were talking about too is, so we're looking at these different aspects of, of stress. So we're talking about the community piece, um, but then we also talked about the stressors from, in more of the more of the physical stressors rather than the mental stressors, the, the toxins and, and um, you know, bad food and all those things. Now, you know, let's say somebody who's suffering from health concerns that are related to stress, let's say high blood pressure and, and um, you know, it, it can really go on and on and on, the, the, the health concerns that are, that are coming from stress. And so these same people that are stressed out of their minds with all these health concerns, like, you know, is, is it really the, the physical piece or the emotional piece or is it really both that they have to really come to grips with in order, in order to really overcome that illness, you think? I feel like that's a softball question. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 no, I feel like we agree on that. I feel like most people would. I, we, I mean, I think we all know it's, it's everything, right? I don't, I don't think we can really separate them. I think some people lean towards saying it's more of the emotional and psychological piece. Some people lean a lot more towards saying it's you know, the physical piece and we figure all of that out. Um, I, ironically, I feel like I lean a little more towards the physical piece and when I say physical, I actually mean that if we do so many things physically, right, like eat the right foods and, uh, you know, avoid certain toxins that are very prevalent both in our diet and in our environment, and if we surround ourselves physically with a tight community, right, so I actually lean a little more towards the physical side and feel like, I, you know, I almost feel like that's just the more practical side to deal with. And I feel like once people are able to deal with that side of it because it's concrete and it sort of makes sense, that the other pieces of it come more easily, mm -hmm. right? Like it's a little easier. For instance, I mean, when you know, we've helped put thousands or tens of thousands of people on paleo or keto diets, right? Uh, and often it's to lose weight or something. But time and again, when they get on those diets, all of a sudden, like, oh my God, I have more energy. I can think a little bit right. clearer, right? Because they're eating unprocessed foods. They're uh, just living a generally healthier life. And all of a sudden, it becomes easier for them to make other changes. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who've talked about things like domino habits yeah. or the domino effect of certain changes that you can make in your life. And I feel like going from the physical to the emotional side or to the psychological side is the easier way to go uh, because it does give you more of that mental clarity, more of the energy. So I feel like, you know, the easiest place to start is often just to start feeding yourself the right foods, you know, take out all the processed sugar, take out the seed oils, uh, take out most of the grains since most people have, well, everybody has an adverse reaction to gluten, we know that, but uh, since most people have an adverse reaction to most grains, uh, you know, take out those things and start feeling better and then be able to make those other changes. Right. And I have to agree with you. I really think it's both. And I mean, I, I deal with more of the biological side of the whole thing and, and you know, removing the toxins. And, you know, I, I deal with more of the people who are stuck and they can't get out of that, like no matter what they do. I mean, that's more of the people right. that I'm working with. Um, but I, I really, yeah, I think it's both. I mean, that's a, even when I work with people, I mean, if, if, if I realize stress is a big part of their life, like, I mean, I'm fully aware that there is a limitation to getting them well if yeah. if they're working a job that is, you know, 80 hours a week and they're not willing to put any effort into their house. You know, I mean, there's <laughs> there's so many different things. Like, but like I said, the one thing that I am fully aware of in is if somebody's just stressed to the max, like we can we can biologically right. you know change their body. However, like you have to deal with that stress that that yeah. you know emotional wow. piece. I think you and I know that the stress piece is one of the hardest. Like, I don't know exactly how many hours you work, but I don't think it's you know ten or fifteen a week. No, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it I'm is. Saying, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to relax enough. Yeah, I think it is hard, and I and I really think that uh, it you know just for anybody anymore, it can become um, something that spirals out of control. I mean, let's face it. So, like, if you look at, you know, the average American's life, you know, they're trying to raise a family. They're trying to make a living. They're trying to, you know, there's the technology that is all around them. I mean, they're, they're, trying, just, to, they're trying to catch up on other Netflix. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just like there's so much stuff going on. There's so much noise. Right. And I just think that um, it really it, it turns into one of those things that people don't know how to control it anymore. And so yeah. that's why. 
you know, like I oftentimes just get people to step back and take that time for themselves and take that time to meditate and take that time to journal and do these things and like, you know, just kind of create inner peace. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, that that's actually the piece of it I'm most fascinated in. It's funny because I say I come out more from the physical side because I do see people make more progress there to begin with. But the, the piece that really fascinates me, so uh, for the past couple of years, I've also been very interested in play. Um, you know, there, there, there's a few people I won't name them, but like who, who've been very instrumental in talking about play over the past century, a couple of researchers. And it, it's funny, when I go back and I read a lot of spiritual texts, whether they're Christian or the Bhagavad Gita or, you know, um, the Tao Te Ching or, you know, anything else, uh, you always, what always comes out is a certain playfulness. And also, if you see monks who've been monks for a long time, or I was lucky when I was in college, the Dalai Lama actually came and spent most of a semester at Emory. When you see these people who we think of as, as more enlightened, like more present, they, they do have this childlike, playful quality. And I feel like as much as it is relaxing for us and what we call de-stressing, uh, it's also just approaching everything we do with a what I call a lightness, and I use lightness because that word doesn't carry as much baggage as a lot of other words. But I think it's approaching things without the level of seriousness. We approach everything so seriously, and uh, I don't know if you've read it. Um, uh, the world until yesterday, um, written by the same guy, Jared Diamond. Sorry, I was blank on his name for a moment. Written by Jared Diamond, who most people know, Guns, Germs, and Steel, one of the Pulitzer, I think, back in the, the mid to late 90s. Uh, he's also written a bunch of other books. He was an anthropologist for a long time, mostly in Papua New Guinea, but he studied um, cultures and civilizations around the world, often uh, semi prehistorical cultures, right? Cultures that were to some degree nomadic and isolated well into the mid to late 20th century. And I, I don't know how many years he spent down there, but it's got somewhere between like 30 and 40, I think. And so, World Until Yesterday, one of the things he talks about is people think that, you know, pre agricultural life, and which is human life for about two and a half million years, they think this human life was like, really serious that you're always uh, you know talking about serious things or doing serious hunting or whatever he says literally most of the time that people in these tribes spent they spent sitting around talking about literally nothing he says for example in one tribe in Papua New Guinea I, I forget the stat that he gives but something like half their time was spent talking about how many bananas they ate the day before <laughs> not to not to judge not to judge like how many bananas they had left for for any reason, but just because you're know, like oh yeah ha ha I ate 15 bananas yesterday <laughs> whatever it was right. and uh, that's just what they do and it's uh, interesting that we were talking about community too because if you look historically the reason people always think gossip oh such a bad thing we're always gossiping about celebrities or about our neighbors and things and gossip is a million times faster at establishing both a hierarchy and social cohesion so that we know what's going on with every member of our tribe. And the reason you want to have that is because in a tribe of you know, 130, 150 people, you need to know, not only know everybody, but you need to know everything that's going on because everything that's going on affects you and affects your livelihood, right? You need to be a part of that group and that group is your survival. And so gossip actually served that function. So it's really fascinating when we think about how we spend our time now. Uh, we think it has to be so serious. We think it has to be so goal-oriented that we always have to be getting these things done. We have to be you know, progressing in our life. And, and I mean this in every way. Uh, even for people who you know, talk in a slightly more enlightened way these days, we're always like, oh yeah, we need to grow. We need to become a better person. We need to become our best self, right? It's, it's all the same for me. Like I'm actually very, I don't want to say averse to that way of thinking because I think it's all fine. But it's just—it's always fascinating to me that we're always aiming towards that. We always feel like we need to improve ourselves. We need to be better in some way. We need to grow in some way. Even Tony Robbins says it's like you know, growing is living, which I don't particularly right. agree with. Um, uh, I, I agree with it if you're stuck in this dichotomy of needing to always be better. But I think to the degree that we can let go of that piece, that it helps us on both the psychological level and comes back to that, uh, really the physical level, and really helps us because it releases a weight. Of, of always needing to be better, of always needing to grow and needing to find out how good we can become. Yeah, and you know, from like an entrepreneurial perspective, you know, I can't tell you like I'm when I look at like my people that I'm friends with on Facebook. I mean, like it's it's like ninety five percent like 
entrepreneurs, some very successful, some <laughs> climb in the ranks. And it's like, and it's kind of funny because they always post all their stuff. And, you know, obviously, you know, as well as I do, one of the big hot topics has been morning routines, morning routines and what your morning <laughs> routine is. And like, in, in, you know, another thing, and I think this is probably because of Ty Lopez posting all of the pictures about books all over the internet. And he like literally broke the internet with his YouTube videos. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, people putting stacks of books that are like, you know, you know, 20, 20 books tall, like I'm going to crush all these books over this month and it's like you know people just like turn themselves into these machines right. like and um and, and they're just if if they're not doing 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 they feel like they're not accomplishing and like i i mean for yeah. me i've done the morning routine stuff i think it's a good way to get yourself back on track if you're really falling off the bandwagon and in you know these rigid schedules but like living day in and day out with like this rigid schedule like i mean it, it's yeah. not human and it really well, me, just will burn you right out let me ask you this how does it i mean how does it make you feel to see 95 percent entrepreneurs on your feed posting everything that they're doing like i'm just like good for you i, I don't really care like <laughs> i'm not the type of guy who's like i gotta be like him you know i'm right i just gotta be like myself you know and um yeah and um you know, I'm, I'm the what you what you see is what you get kind of guy, but um, but uh, you know, I, I I find it interesting. I you know, I'm I kind of always take a step back and just analyze it and be like, wow, you know, okay, good, you know, that's awesome. He's like, you know, really trying to step up his game and stuff. But honestly, I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, their their best foot forward is on the internet, and then what happens behind the scenes, you know, who really knows? Right. <laughs> well, so I actually stopped so. I remember about three years ago, I culled my Facebook feed and I had only people that I sort of admired who I felt were doing really cool stuff. This was three or four years ago. And I, so on my Facebook feed, when I would get on there, I would see people doing really cool stuff and, and, and great stuff too. I mean, they were helping people, things that people would con generally consider very, very good things. They weren't just boasting about, oh, I made a million dollars or whatever. I mean, you know, they were like, oh, you know, really helped this person. Uh, with their you know emotional issues or whatever I mean and the thing I found is that um, it was stressing me out and it wasn't an obvious stress for me uh, it wasn't like I saw it and I thought oh my god I need to be doing that or I need to be better than them but mm -hmm. I realized that it was it was sort of this subconscious stress for me because it even just seeing all of that and seeing people doing it I felt like I needed to be doing more all the time. Like I needed to be accomplishing yeah. a little more. And and a lot of people say this is a good thing. Like, oh yeah, I surround myself with all these people who are doing so much more so that it motivates me, which is funny because I'm like, well, why do you need to be motivated? Why do you need <laughs> to, to be pushed in that way? But right. that's the only reason I asked. It's because I personally found, I actually don't look at Facebook anymore. Um, I don't have it on my, actually I have one of the apps on my computer that I go on Facebook because I run a couple groups and I use it for Messenger, but I have one of the, the plugins where I can't see the feed, it automatically removes the feed. I'm sure Facebook loves that, but. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and no, I'm the same way. I mean, except for like business purposes, I can't say I spend a lot of time on there seeing uh, what's being posted. But like I said, you know, it's uh, one of the things, and, and this is good for the listeners to realize too, because this is the realization I've come across, is that one of the things is that a lot of these people, like I said, they're putting their best foot forward. And I mean, whether it's them, you know, talking about their business and like they're not putting their struggles um, on the internet. They're just putting right. like how they're rock stars and that they're crushing it. And, you know, the reality of a lot of these people's lives aren't what you think it is. And so that's why, like, if you're the type of person who sees this stuff and it stresses you out, like, oh my gosh, I need to do more. I need to, you know, catch up with this person. Um, just be aware that there's a good chance you're kind of seeing like a distorted reality of that individual's life. And that's the yeah. way I see I, it. I, I'll give you a quick example. So obviously we've been in the, the paleo world for quite a while and we've been, you know, we know a lot of the paleo bloggers. You know, back in the day, a few years ago, three, four, five years ago, we'd go to the, you know, like the Ancestral Health Symposium, Paleo FX, some of those things were allowed right. them to show up. And uh, if you think that paleo bloggers eat perfectly, <laughs> like, I, I was actually shocked because 
Louise and I, especially when we're in the United States, we probably eat better than 99% of, of paleo bloggers. There are some vast exceptions. Like Mark Sisson, man, the guy is like, he's like perfect. Like the guy, I'm so impressed with that guy every time I meet him and see him. Like, and, and Rob Wolf. I mean, there are a lot of them. Uh, but, you know, there are also a lot of the ones that you see online. It's just one example of what you're talking about, like putting yeah. your best foot forward, showing you all the best recipes and everything, and then going out for ice cream afterwards, <laughs> Right. Whatever it is, uh, you know, it happens all the time. No, I, I, I feel like that's the case. And, um, you know, that's why even like, you know, when I put my stuff out, like I don't, I don't take the, I would say like, I don't, I don't know, the path of, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm perfect and I, and I do this with my health and I do that with my health because I feel like when you follow some of these people, they're always talking about, you know, the, the newest supplement they're taking and the newest lab tests they're running and you're just like man how are they doing all this like you know because they just said last week that they were taking this supplement and if you add up all the supplements they're taking they're taking like 30 different supplements and yeah. of course they're not doing that they're like <laughs> you know this this one particular week they got on this like little you know thing with this supplement and they just started taking yeah. it but like their readers are just thinking that they're like superhuman yeah. and it's, they're exercising like a bandit taking a million supplements <laughs> you know and it's like people it's just a distorted reality yeah there are a few people who walk this walk and there are always people i'm really, like ben greenfield for instance man like i don't know ben that well i've only met him a few times but that guy <laughs> <laughs> he really like he does everything he says and more he's not even like he doesn't even put everything he does on there and he's like yeah I, I've met him and his brother they're like two of the most grounded realistic people you ever meet it's kind of crazy oh yeah uh, and they're I, hilarious I, 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 I joked with his brother I'm like man I want to meet your parents like how did your parents <laughs> raise you guys like but, but they're both like Adonis first of all like I I don't even know how they look how they do but yeah, they're both like that. Yeah, perfect. But then they're, you know, it's like the Dr. Oz effect, what you were mentioning. You know, there's no way you could do even a third of what Dr. Oz has on his show, right? I know. <laughs> it's like, I have like patients that come to me and it's so funny because all I can do is like roll my eyes because, you know, every time I see them, they're on like some new kick and like, for instance, you know, one of the, one of the patients came in, they were drinking hot water. I'm like, what do you got there? Oh, just hot water. And I'm like, well, what are you drinking hot water for? Well, Dr. Oz and all, like goes on. I'm like, oh my gosh, like stop it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But yeah, I've yeah I've met Ben Greenfield probably at some of the same events you've met him, and um, yeah, no, they, I mean he's he's like definitely he, he's a machine man. He, he literally does like I I don't know maybe like ten plus Spartan races a year, probably more. Right. Yeah, he's kind of insane. I mean, insane in a good way, but man, he. <laughs> He's just go go like perfect physical condition. It's it's kind of crazy. He um he did uh, so he did some tests with my friend Chris Kelly, um, and Chris has been on Ben's podcast a couple times. And uh, I did this lab test recently. Um, it's been around for a while. It's not a particularly new thing. And my friend Chris didn't come up with it. He just uses it now. But it's called the Dutch test. I don't know if you're familiar with the Dutch test. Yeah, a little bit. I, uh, you know, Ben took it right before I did, and Ben's like, yeah, he's like, he's like, it was really interesting. He's like, there was some actual stuff in there. He's like, I produce hormones like, uh, you know, like a gorilla. He's like, just producing everything across the board. And then I got mine back, and I don't look anything like Ben, by the way. And uh, I got mine back, and I was like, man, like, I produce so many hormones, like, my, my testosterone levels, my cortisol levels, everything's through the roof. And, you know, when I've tested before on some of the adrenal panels, um, the salivary ones, I come back either low or low to mid, uh, which is something I'd worked on in the past and actually gotten my DHEA levels up. I'd gotten my uh, cortisol levels up and back in rhythm, although they'd always still been just kind of in the middle at best and not near the, the top of the, the range. And so, you know, for a long time, I think starting back around like 2010, 2011, I thought I had adrenal fatigue. Right. And I did, I did to some degree, whatever we call adrenal fatigue, adrenal depletion, right? I mean, there's all these names for it now. Um, and, uh, you know, I admit adrenal fatigue is probably a bad name because not really that our adrenal glands get worn out for the most part. It's more of the, the HPA access and the signaling and everything. But, right. uh, but nonetheless, right, those, those cortisol panels, they only show you a little bit. They only show you... Um, essentially some of the metabolites but then when you do this this dried urine panel the Dutch test I forget exactly what it stands for but dried urine something something hormones 
uh, you know, it shows you so much. And in fact, a lot of people who are low on the salivary cortisol panel are actually producing a ton, but it's getting shifted down different pathways. And so it's not ending up as, as, as the cortisol that we think of, as the free cortisol that actually doesn't give us energy, but you know, keeps us awake and keeps us alert and gives us that feeling of energy. And so it was really fascinating for me because now I've kind of shifted directions and been trying to figure out, well, why is it that I'm producing so much and maybe even a little too much? Because you look at my, my testosterone number, numbers, actually my hair's starting to thin just a little now and I'm, I'm 30, how old am I, 37. Yeah, I'm 37. I had to think about that. Um, I'm 37 <laughs> now. My hair's starting to thin a little bit, but I look at this panel, I'm like, well, no wonder, because I've got so much dihydroxytestosterone, right, which is one of the main reasons that you see male pattern baldness, right, is it starts getting stuck in your, your health, hair follicles, which causes it to thin, right? That's the main reason that we see male pattern baldness. I'm like, well, well darn, like I could get my, my testosterone down just a little bit. Everybody else is like, oh, yeah, I'd kill for testosterone that high. Like, yeah, well, I know. Yeah, everybody's talking about their low T, and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, you know, when I when I do lab testing, I'm always looking just you know for all aspects of cellular health and um, and some of these things like and, and we have a lot of lab tests out there right now. Lab tests have really come a long ways, and we can figure out some right. really cool stuff. But um, you know, it always for me it always comes back to okay. So like, let's say you're producing these hormones, but however they're not really being utilized properly. And so you know, I always go back to cellular health and how to you know the the hormone sing, signaling from cell to cell and and making sure that um, you know these these hormones are being heard and not just being produced and but not being utilized. And what are, what are your favorite tests for cellular health? There's some different tests out there that test for inflammation. Um, I like so obviously I like uh, infl- the, the, some of the tests that are just sim- very simple tests that are checking for inflammation. So I like to look at that one. Um, I like to look at you know nutrient testing in order to see where the nutrients right. are um, missing. And I think we actually talked about that last time. Did we talk? Uh, nu- wh- which nutrient Possibly, test yeah. do you use? Um, so I, I I lean towards the pathway tests like the urine organic acids. Um, I don't like testing i mean i don't i don't actually prescribe any of these tests myself that's not something <laughs> i do um so i just i when i say i like them um i'll either I, I talking about doing them for myself or when i have people come to me or i'm coaching somebody and they want to do this or i think they should or whatever i'll send them to chris who uh, is my friend who who does all of this and it's super super smart he's, he's a complete geek at it um and uh but i just theoretically, I lean towards the pathway tests like urinorganic acids. I'm still producing some of the urinorganic acids that show that my methylation cycle is not working properly. Right. Right. Yep. And and if that's the case, it doesn't matter if it looks like I have enough B12 because I you know those urinorganic acids are going to tell me if that methylation cycle is breaking down because I don't have enough B12 because it'll produce a particular urinorganic acid. And so I lean towards that. Uh, that sort of tests, like from Genova, the organics, which you're an organic acid. Yep. There's also doc, doctor's data runs it. Yep. Uh, there's some good labs. And so I sort of like those tests, and I call them pathway tests because they're really looking at the pathway and telling you if something is not working, if a pathway, pathway is not is working, working, rather than testing the nutrient directly because that doesn't really tell us if it's a problem or not. Right. No, no I agree with that too. You know, one of the tests too that I say that when you look at this test, whether you say, okay, well, does this give us solutions or does this give us answers? But really just to be able to identify um, what's going on, in it's, it's the um, uh, cardiometabolic test that mm. we run quite often. And it's just because so many people, right. heart disease is a big problem right now for so many people. And so um, if, yeah. we can, if we can you know, run that test and identify um, the issue, uh, you know, one in two people dying of heart disease, and most people are getting their cholesterol checked still, which is ridiculous. <laughs> and, 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 you know, just being like, yeah, I'm completely healthy. I got a clean bill of health, you know. <clears throat> but, you know, the fact think, is, is more I people, um, more people die of low cholesterol than high cholesterol. So, go ahead. I think that's one area where technology will very quickly start to make a difference over the next 10 to 15 years. And the reason being that, you know, there are certain things that if you did every six to 12 months, like if you were doing a coronary plaque scan, right, right. like a CT scan of your coronary plaque, 
that if you were doing that every six months, you'd be able to tell if you had atherosclerosis or if it was growing or you know what was going on, and that essentially that would be a gold standard, right? It wouldn't be a gold standard for all health, but it'd be a gold standard for cardiovascular disease to know whether or not you've got you know plaque building up and inflammation building up in your arteries and the same thing for our brains right if we could scan our brains every six months and see what's happening see if certain parts of them are becoming more or less active seeing certain parts of them are are growing or, or, or shrinking then that would also you know really really be a gold standard for for brain health in some ways and I feel like technology will pretty quickly make that sort of testing a lot cheaper and more readily accessible on an individual basis. Or at least that's my hope. And, yeah, and I don't think And I, I really do feel that it will because I mean there's even there's even testing that I have that um, it literally used to cost thousands of dollars and now they've brought it down. I mean they've brought some of it down to like consumer level. I mean let's right. let's look at like let's just look at like heart rate variability for instance. When that first came out, yeah. like you didn't go get heart rate variability <laughs> for cheap. Like I mean I, that's that's I test expensive. it on my iPhone every morning. I don't even have. I just use my camera because it's pretty much as accurate with a camera to test RMSSD as it is with a sensor on your chest. Yeah. So, like, I mean, just think about it, though. Like, so here we are. I mean, anymore, and I don't. Whatever. App, what app are you using? Um, HRV for training. Okay. So let's say like that. Now, was it free? Uh, I think it was nine dollars. Nine dollars. Okay. So you got a nine dollar <laughs> app. <laughs> you know, and and this is something that people didn't have access to without you know paying a ton of money, and even a healthcare yeah. practitioner like myself didn't have access to w without spending like you know thousands and thousands of dollars. And now it's starting to be available at a consumer level for you know, let's say like you have for you know something for nine dollars. So you know it's it's really interesting. Um, and I and I think you're right. I think that a lot of these tests um, they will eventually become. Uh, less and less expensive. It's just like I think when the technology first comes out, they you know they yeah. they, they got to make their money off of it basically, and then eventually um, and then eventually when they can have some competitors in that market, it's going to drive that the, the, you know the testing yeah. down and and also they're cr coming up with more creative ways to do it. I mean, obviously we couldn't have done it um, with an iPhone you know right. years ago, so. Yeah, it's, it's the tech that'll help. I mean, you know, healthcare is one of the hardest things to solve. You know this as well as anybody essentially being in the healthcare field. I mean, it's just one of those issues. Everybody talks about it as if they have all these solutions like, oh, look at this country, they're doing okay, or this is really good about this country. Like, there's, there's really no great solution because you're right. Companies need to be able to make money off of these things, right? We don't need to be able to limit. The, the amount of money they're making when some of this technology first comes out because we need that money to drive innovation. We need it to drive R&D in so many ways. You know, we talk about healthcare, it's one of those things that is really hard because you need to have the money there to drive the innovation and yeah. honestly the US has driven a lot of the innovation for the world. I mean you talk about how good certain healthcare is around the world but a lot of the tech came from the US, not all of it, but I'm saying the US has driven a lot of that tech because we've had a market that was able to sustain and to fund that sort of tech. But then on the other hand, of course, we do need it to come down you know, reasonably quickly and we do need it to become accessible because it is something that everybody needs and obviously we're facing, you know, everybody's saying that you know, this young generation, I think Generation Y is the first generation that will live less than its parents' generation. Yeah. Is what they're predicting. Uh, or I don't know if it's Generation Y or maybe Z versus Y. I, yeah, generation. you know, but <laughs> it, it's interesting though because one of the things too though is that, like I said, I just mentioned how, like, I can't tell you how many people are like, yeah, I'm healthy. I just got my cholesterol test. We have known for years that like that is not an indicator of heart health. Like that is nonsense at this point, right? Yeah. Um, there's so many other things. There's so many variables to look at. You got to look at the inflammatory markers in the heart and and um, you know the the particle size and all these different things in the heart. You can't just look at the cholesterol. And so we know that at this point. However, um, I mean, there's been books on it, and, and but yet still in mainstream. Um, hospitals and medicine, they are just running this same old cholesterol test. And so um, when I work with companies and these big companies are, um, you know, they, they, they have like, a, they'll have some medical outfit come in and, and run lab tests on all their uh, people. It's, you know, it's typically they're looking for cholesterol. And, um, and once again, it, it's so behind its time. So 
you know, not only yeah. do we have the technology, but a lot of it's not being utilized properly. So we have it, but it's just not there. I mean, there's, you know, some right. like, let's say, for instance, like, you know, your friend Chris Kelly sounds like he's doing some cool stuff with testing. So he's running the right test. You know, I'm running the right test looking for real, real solutions for people. But, you know, going to, um, you know, mainstream uh, mainstream medicine and going to a hospital and expecting to get these tests or even expecting your insurance, you know, to pay for, for some of these tests that offer better data is not there. Like, it's yeah. just not. And honestly, it's better in the U.S. than anywhere else. Like, at least in the U.S., you can go find people like you who can who will run these tests. I, right. I've, I've been, you know, traveling a lot over the past three years and everywhere else in the world, it's practically impossible. There is practically, I mean, I don't want to say there's nobody because that would be a disgrace to the, the people out in other countries that are doing it. And there are people, but there are so many fewer and further between than in the U.S. Uh, and, and like you said, in the U.S., it's obviously still not even close to mainstream. But yeah, you're right. There, there's so much tech there, whether it's testing, whether it's anything else, that it's just not getting used in the way it should. And also, you know, I don't know if you know Brendan Bouchard, but one of the things he says that I right. like is that common sense is not always common practice. And... Um, you know, as much as we talk about testing and technology not being used the way it should, there's also just so much common sense that we know about health and well-being. Um, you know, we have known for you know 2,000 years the value of meditation. We've known at least that right. long the value of drinking enough water. And I'm not talking about overhydrating and washing away all your you know your minerals and everything. But you know, there are these basic things that we've known for so long. And and pretty much everybody on like you walk down the street and you ask somebody who's you know, like drinking a coke and eating a donut. You say, you know, oh, do you think, you know, vegetables would be healthier uh, than that Coke and donut? And they'd be like, yeah, they know, right? Yeah. We all know. <laughs> Nobody thinks the donut's healthy. Right, so exactly. There, there's so much that's common sense that's not common practice, particularly in health. Uh, but also in every other area of our life. And you're making a really good point because you know, we talk about all the ways to fix healthcare. One of the biggest ways that we can fix healthcare is educate people on proper, you know, things that they can do for their health. Like you said, they know, but we, it needs to just be more available. Now, I know just from living in Atlanta, Georgia, for such a long period of time, and then moving back to where I grew up in Michigan, like. Oh my gosh, what a difference. Like there down in Georgia, you can go to these different, um, you know, there's restaurants all over that offer incredible, um, you know, healthy food. Uh, you have uh, grocery stores carrying um, uh, health food. And then when you come, and let me just mention that the people there you notice are just healthier altogether. You're just walking down the street. You move back. I moved back to Michigan, and like it's things that they've been doing down there for years are finally just starting to come up here where grocery stores are carrying a good amount of health food and and right. now some restaurants are thinking they might want to start offering other things and you know fries and greasy burgers so you know it's it's one of those things that like we have to people just have to start making better decisions but better decisions have to be available and yeah. that's how we're going to you know find a solution to um, healthcare is by you know, make, getting people to make better decisions every day. Have I mean, when I going to high school and I and I know it's still like this, but I mean, all there was is vending machines full of garbage and um, you know uh, pop machines like you know just. I soda remember machines. eating all of that in high school. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, I know, and and so like, but if we can just make imagine like how much healthier kids could be if we just made at least it available to them. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of delicious health food out there. It's not like they're going to be like buying a salad with like carrots and cucumbers. That you know, I mean, it's like there's better options. You're absolutely right. So in the U.S., we've we've lived in very affluent areas, and we've also lived. We haven't lived in extremely poor areas um, because we've always been fairly lucky and have had some money. But um, we've lived in uh, definitely poorer areas, and the contrast is very stark as to what's available. Uh, you know, the the poorer and less affluent the area is, the neighborhood is, the the less you have fresh produce, the less you have good cuts of meat, and, and just generally unprocessed food. You see a lot more processed food, um, and and obviously just a ton more liquor stores. And, you know, just right. so much, so much more in less affluent neighborhoods that's available, and makes it so much harder if you're living there to to eat healthy and to make healthy choices because you have fewer choices. You have a lot more temptation uh, right. in terms of that's just the preponderance of what you see is very unhealthy food and not very much that's a good choice. 
Right. Yeah, your environment does act on you. And so if yeah, if you're around all just poor, unhealthy choices, essentially, um, eventually that's going to start creeping into your life unless you're, you know, really on it and um, making sure it doesn't. But uh, but yeah, it, you know, that's that's really, I think, how we solve a healthcare crisis is just by getting people to start <laughs> taking care of themselves, you know, and, and not just waiting. I mean, because right now it's a, it's it's just a sick care system where it's like, okay, well, once you once you think you have cancer, come in and see us, and you know, we'll tell you you have cancer. Yeah. Or once you think you're dying of a heart problem, then come in and see us, and we'll tell you you're dying of a heart problem. But right. there's no like. We- coming in and, and, you know, learning about how to avoid heart problems. And it, it's just really like, let's identify the problem and then tell you you have the problem and then give some type of medication for the problem. Yeah. I think I think we need to incentivize it from the other direction, too. I mean, there's some insurance companies that are starting to do this, which yes. is starting to take, take doctors in-house and actually make the doctors themselves a fixed cost. Because once you make the doctors themselves a fixed cost, uh, then your goal becomes to minimize the treatment that people need which means that you start prioritizing preventative care because you've made everything else a fixed cost and so if you can keep people healthy then you don't have any of the other costs that you would eventually have to pay um, so I think you can incentivize it that way and we just need to think more about investing I mean so uh, you know one of the people that I like and a lot of people know this is Arnold Schwarzenegger um, and um, I don't know if if people haven't read his biography, Total Recall, which is a great name for biography, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you read his autobiography. And so I, when I first started working in California, I was a lawyer. And one of the guys at my firm, Bob Hertzberg, he, was, he had been um, Speaker of the General Assembly, which is essentially like the Congress of California. And he had worked a little bit with Schwarzenegger both when he was in office. Bob Hertzberg was a, a lifelong Democrat. I would say lifelong. He was a Democrat. I think he had been a Democrat for pretty much forever. And awesome, just awesome, awesome guy. One of the best guys I ever met. Uh, but, you know, I remember him even talking about Schwarzenegger then. He said, you know, he's like, and I, I'm going to misquote him. So, the, you know, don't attribute this directly to Bob. But the, the gist of what Bob said was that, you know, Schwarzenegger was actually fairly impressive to work with because he was very practical. He wanted to get things done. And if you read his biography, what Schwarzenegger says about himself is the way that he turned everything around, especially for Republicans, because he was a Republican, is that he talked more about investing in our future rather than you know spending money or, or taxing and spending. He was thinking about using money in ways that made sense that you know as a, if, as if you were running California as a business, mm-hmm. investing that money. And I think you know us talking about healthcare, it makes a lot of sense too because it makes sense on an individual level for people to invest uh, both in energetic ways in their health right now, right, doing the right things, uh, and also in financial ways. You know, getting some of the tests earlier, even if they have to pay for them, so that it saves them money and pain and a lot of sickness down the road. But it makes sense on a societal level too to invest both money, you know, money, time, and energy now that will save us money, time, and energy in the future. I mean, they're all, and this is not just healthcare. I mean, you know, if we were on a political podcast, we'd talk about things like you know, preventing drug abuse or preventing people from, you know, spending money on education so people are not going into the prison system. You know, various things that we could talk about. Um, but I think it's particularly apt when we think about healthcare and on a personal and societal level for people to think about actually investing that time and money so that we save it down the road. Because it costs a lot more to have open heart surgery than it does to run a few tests and make a few changes in your life to prevent getting there. It costs a whole lot more to take care of somebody who has Alzheimer's than it does. Uh, actually, that interview I was uh, recording with Tom O'Brien yesterday, um, at one of the lines I really liked that he said, he's like, you know, people don't get Alzheimer's in their 60s or 70s. People get Alzheimer's in their 20s. It just doesn't show up until their 60s exactly. or 70s. Like, it's what you're doing in your 20s and 30s that causes it. And I think it's a really good way to think about it, right? You're developing diseases right. in your 20s and 30s, or maybe before, but definitely 20s and 30s, you're thinking about it to a, a slightly more, a slightly higher degree. And then, uh, you really get them in your 50s, 60s, and 70s. Right. Well, I mean, we know that diseases such as cancer, I mean, they, you know, there's research now saying that it develops or it starts uh, developing your body 15 to 20 years before you ever know you have it. And the same thing goes with heart disease. I mean, it's years and years. And then eventually it just, it's, the, it's, it's full on there and you can't, right. you know, it's smacking you in the face and you can't, you can't miss it. But, um, all these things, they don't just happen overnight. And, um, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I try to push to people too. It's like, you know, look, you have to invest in your health now because 
um, you know, a lack of pain does not mean that you're healthy. I mean, that's what most people like, oh, I'm not in pain, I'm healthy. But, you know, I, you know, I often tell them, it's like, well, you know, let's look at the guy who went to the dentist and found out he had, you know, three cavities. Like he, he ne- wasn't necessarily in pain. Look at the guy, you know, ask the guy the day before he had a heart attack, you know, and, and right. you know, was he in pain? No. And so like, don't let pain be the deter- the determining factor of whether you're healthy or not. That means nothing. That just means absolutely mm-hmm. nothing. So it means, it means it's a little late. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah. No, I agree, though. Investing in your health is the way to go. I mean, because it literally is an investment. And um, and uh, I mean, there's no greater investment than you can make than and investing it's, it's in yourself. Of, it's one of the reasons why I think people have such a hard time with something like meditation. Uh, you know, meditation is one of those few things that when I do it, I do it just to do it <laughs> for no other reason. Uh, but it, it's hard for people to do that. You're right. I think people often need some sort of pain or they need some sort of goal or they want to see some sort of benefit out of something they're doing great um so Sorry, we, was, we have so many topics we have so many things we cover it's just like it's just all over and you're gonna you have to be like a regular contributor to the to the show now i mean you're just like you're in now and so i enjoy, I enjoy talking with you so we yeah, need to awesome, catch up more often, well, one way or another well this pretty much wraps us up for this show so um jeremy once again thanks for coming on appreciate having you on and sharing your wisdom with everybody and um once again we'll have to have you on again Yeah, awesome. I I appreciate it. All right, Jeremy. Well, thanks for being part of the show. Thank you. If you have not done so yet, you have to get connected with us. And I'll tell you why. Because we deliver so much valuable information that will teach you how to increase your level of health, how to increase your performance, how to exercise properly, how to eat well, you name it. We just take this healthy lifestyle package and we dive into it and just tell you all the details that you need to know in order to live a healthy lifestyle. So here's how you get connected. Follow us on Facebook at New Vision Excel. And then if you want to be a part of our private Facebook group, which is invite only, you can go to excelpodcast.com and you can request to get entered into this group. In this group, we talk about all the topics I just mentioned, but we dive a little bit deeper and I show up in there a little bit more and have a lot of presence in there so that I can actually you know, help people one-on-one in order to help them skyrocket their health. So if you have not done so yet, follow us on Facebook, go to excelpodcast.com and join our private Facebook group. And then lastly, newvisionexcel.com is loaded with articles. I write about three articles a week. I personally write three articles a week for newvisionexcel.com in order to help people skyrocket their health. We put these podcasts on there. We just put tons and tons of uh, information that will help you take your health to the level that you want it to be at, help you achieve your health goals, and help you ultimately live a better life. So follow us and join us in our group, and I look forward to seeing you there. If you want more information to multiply your health and simplify your lifestyle, visit our website at excelpodcast.com. Until next time, have an outstanding day.